Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Alaska, a vast remote wilderness twice the size of Texas. There are dangerous, unpredictable forces at work here. In one of the most mysterious corners of the globe... A lot of things can kill you out here without even trying. This is a place hundreds of times more deadly than the Bermuda Triangle. Oh my God. Stories of alien abductions. I believe it was a UFO. The paranormal, vanishing airplanes, and strange beasts. The Alaskan Bigfoot, he can rip you in half. These accounts are really widespread. It peeked out of the tree right there. Have haunted those who dare set foot here. In the last 30 years, 16,000 people have disappeared without a trace. More people have disappeared than the Bermuda Triangle, two to three times the amount. Witnesses tell us their shocking stories. I was petrified. And we've gathered some of the world's leading experts in their field. I'm always after scientific evidence that can be independently corroborated. To try and unlock the mystery of the Alaska Triangle. Alaska, infamous for the many UFO sightings in the skies above. But beneath its 95,000 square miles of ocean, could there be alien life? According to Soviet naval intelligence, more than half the UFOs coming in and going out of this planet are coming out of our oceans. What a perfect place not to have human witnesses. Alaskan residents have reported seeing UFOs rising from its waters. I was just like, what the hell was that? So UFO experts have taken their investigations underwater. 70% of the Earth is water, and we've explored 5%. Of course they're hiding underwater. And I think they've been underwater for, if not decades, centuries. The triangle holds some of the world's deepest waters, with the Gulf of Alaska reaching down to depths of an incredible 26,000 feet. Could this be a perfect hiding place 
for a secret underwater alien base. There's definitely underwater UFO activity that's been reported over the last four decades. These UFOs have been tracked underwater and stayed underwater for a long time, evaded the Navy, and they go so deep that we don't know where they're going. I am very convinced that there's some kind of base underwater. UFO researcher Johnny Enoch has been looking at the evidence. According to my sources, there are extraterrestrial bases under the water off the coast of Alaska. Alaska is the perfect place for extraterrestrials to set up underwater bases. I mean, you have 33,000 miles of untapped coast and over 3 million lakes. I mean, where better a place to set up shop? According to UFO investigator Jeremy Ray, the U.S. Navy has long known about alien aircraft using our oceans to hide underwater. He's found compelling photographs online that are said to have been taken by a naval officer aboard a nuclear submarine. The original owner could not be traced, so these are recreations of those images. In March 1971, USS Trepang was carrying out weapons testing in the Arctic when a UFO was reportedly sighted in the sea. The images look like a massive craft that's ascended out of the water, hovered for a little while for the Navy guys to take pictures of it. It's like a cylindrical saucer, but oval-shaped object that you can see in the photographs when it's coming out of the water, the water's still falling off the craft. Then the object turns sideways and supposedly from the report, took off at a high rate of speed. Jeremy's team at MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, does not believe the photographs are fakes. They are leaked photographs and they've been out there on the internet for a while and nobody has come forward to debunk them. Strange lights were seen in the waters of the Gulf of Thailand near the city of Bangkok. Could this be evidence of an underwater alien base in Southeast Asia? In the photographs, it shows all these green lights that are on the water. That right there is strange in itself that he could actually see the lights all the way up into space. Some people think that it might be some kind of UFO activity. It's very mysterious. When you look at the photograph with your own eyes, it looks very, very strange. Some dismissed this interpretation of the photographs, saying it was easily explained by fishing boats using LED lights to attract squid to their nets. But it seems there is compelling evidence of UFOs using the oceans of the Alaska Triangle. And it comes directly from US servicemen themselves. In 1969, Dan Willis was serving in naval communications when he reported a UFO incident that would change his life. A recent change in military law means he can now speak publicly about it without fear of jail. I was a certified high-speed code operator, you know, doo -doo -doo -doo, you know, type of thing. I worked at the uh, code room, the Naval Communications Station in San Francisco. I had a uh, top-secret extra-sensitive material handling security clearance. I received a secret priority message from a ship that was off the coast of Alaska, coming in through a Morse code channel 
the crew were reportedly startled by what they just witnessed off the port side of their ship. The crew reported a brightly glowing reddish-orange elliptical object approximately 70 feet in diameter that emerged out of the ocean and then shot straight up into space. The radar operator tracked the blips going in excess of 7,000 miles per hour. I'm reading the message as I'm decoding it from Morse code. It was a um, highly unusual message. I never experienced anything like that, so it all stuck. It burned like an image in the back of my head, this message. Making a UFO sighting public was a crime for any U.S. serviceman under the 1953 Espionage Act. But Dan was in a dilemma about keeping such an important event under wraps. I have to admit, for a second, I was thinking of taking this secret message to make a copy of it on the Xerox machine, but I knew if I did, I'd be facing 10 years in prison, so I had a second thought about doing that. So Dan took the top secret message to his superiors, who then passed it on to the highest ranks of the U.S. Navy. Dan came to one conclusion about this reported UFO sighting. This is 1969, so, you know, I couldn't imagine that anybody on Earth had this type of technology and imagined it to be extraterrestrial. It was something that was in an official Navy secret report going to the Chief of Naval Operations. This was not part of my uh, reality. This startling UFO report was never to see the light of day but the incident continued to trouble Dan. People don't question things until they have a, an actual experience themselves. And since that experience, over the decades, it left a burning question in my mind, what is this? After Dan's life-changing experience, he decided to hunt for evidence of other UFO sightings across Alaska's oceans. He was startled by what he found. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Could there be a secret underwater alien base off the coast of Alaska? In 1969, Naval communications operator Dan Willis received an urgent message about a UFO sighted here. The radar operator tracked the blips going in excess of 7,000 miles per hour. It was kept under wraps by the U.S. Navy. But in the years that followed, Dan decided to investigate other sightings over the Alaskan seas. He was surprised to find a pattern of major incidents reported by U.S. servicemen that were never made public. I've been researching through, and there's a number of reports I find of uh, disks coming out of the ocean near Alaska. Uh, and this particular report happened all the way back in the summer of 1945. An Army transporter ship, U.S. Delaroff, was heading past Adak, one of the Aleutian Islands, in the southwest corner of Alaska. Suddenly, one of the crew was said to have spotted ripples in the water just a mile from their vessel. In this report from one of the crew members, uh, he stated that he turned and saw a large round object which just emerged from the sea. They witnessed a UFO come up out of the water that was 150 to 200 feet wide. And it started circling the boat and making everyone feel rather uneasy. 1945. That could be quite startling to see a 150, 250-foot uh, circular object come out of the ocean. Totally quiet. It was on its own propulsion system, wasn't affected by the wind, the sailors said. This mysterious, unidentified flying object was said to be in range of the ship's guns. But the crew held their fire for fear of provoking an attack. It circled around the ship two or three times until it took off, leaving everyone mesmerized. The crew kept watch as U.S. Delaroff continued on its voyage to Seattle. But there were no further reported sightings of the UFO. All 14 members of the crew witnessed this, including the radioman, and they uh, signed a summary and reported this uh, when they got back to shore. Mysteriously, the top secret report compiled by the crew never saw the light of day. Dan believes he's identified a pattern. They're all strikingly similar. All the reports that I've researched through, people see things coming up under the ocean and they shoot off at tremendous speeds. Could these UFO encounters be proof of an underwater alien base in Alaska? If so, why would such an advanced life form be attracted to its waters? UFO researcher Johnny Enoch has been investigating. In the reports I've heard about extraterrestrial craft coming in and out of the water, it's usually because there is an underwater network that they're accessing where they may enter in one spot and leave from another. Some have said 
the UFOs are using wormholes as a superhighway to connect to other places in the universe. Johnny believes he's found a precedent for an alien base in Alaska's waters. Using satellite imagery, he's found what he thinks is an abandoned extraterrestrial structure in the Pacific Ocean off the Californian coast. What we're looking at here is some underwater footage off the coast of Malibu, and it's absolutely incredible. We have signs of an advanced civilization due to the architectonics here. We have several pillars all lined up in a symmetrical fashion, and there appears to be some sort of a lentil or doorway in the front of it. And even if you look at the top of it, it's got this roof-like structure. Perhaps this is the remains of an ancient and advanced civilization. I think we very well could be looking at an underwater alien base. Back in Alaska, the reported sightings of UFOs over its seas have continued right up to present day. Most notably, around Smitty's Cove, 60 miles from Anchorage. Our Earth is 70% water, and we've explored 5%. There are trenches, deep water trenches. Some of the coastlines are two, three, four thousand feet deep. So there's so many places to hide things underwater. Naturally, extraterrestrials would be heading underwater. It's a great place to hide. They've probably been doing it for centuries. Debbie Ziegelmeyer has carried out over 800 investigations for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. She is their director of underwater research. Investigating is like a mystery novel. Every piece of evidence gets a little bit closer to solving the mystery. Debbie's investigation is now centering on Alaska. In the southeast of the Triangle, off the coast of Anchorage, she's found some intriguing satellite images. I thought it would be a good idea to take a look at satellite images. So um, I started a little bit east, right along the bottom line of the Alaska Triangle. I found some very interesting things underwater. Um, I'm not really sure about them. Some interesting lines, almost like roadways, some type of uh, like a structure. I actually found almost like underwater highways. And then alongside of it, there's rocks that just look out of place, funny shapes, but mainly what intrigued me were what looks like highways underwater. Could these markings signify an alien superhighway that leads to a covert underwater headquarters? There have been compelling reports of UFOs along the coast here. One comes from Beverly Waltz, who had a startling experience one evening at her home near to Smitty's Cove in Whittier. I was looking out my window, just because I like to look out over the water. And I had noticed something odd going on out there over the mountains. I saw these objects, like, you know, like all these different lights. And so I took my binoculars and I was looking out and I saw the ships. They came from very low, just rising up. It just seems like thousands and thousands of those ships out there coming up, 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 up. And then when they got up into the skyline where you couldn't see anymore, 
it would just like psh, so fast and just disappear. I was freaked out. I was just like, what is that? What's going on? So, um, really strange. Had never seen anything like it. Nothing that our military has. I didn't attribute it to anything man-made, is, is what I'm trying to say. UFO investigator Debbie Ziegelmeyer believes she's found the source of Beverly's UFO sighting in the waters of Smitty's Cove. This is a good place to start. Since there's activity here, there are sightings over the water. There's lights that have been seen in the water. Why this mysterious area? Well, it's pretty desolate around here. The communities are all small. There's less chance of somebody seeing the craft. I'm sure there's parts of this area where it's never been seen by humans even. But the interesting part about Smitty's Cove is it's fairly shallow and then it drops off very, very deep. This is really a good place to take a look. Debbie's traveled over 3,000 miles from St. Louis, Missouri to Smitty's Cove. Here, she hopes to find more evidence of the underwater alien base she's been searching for. Wow, I think this area, especially right over in there, is a really, it's a really great place for an investigation. Next, Debbie meets local diving instructor, Alex Fancher. Hey, great to oh, see hi. you. If you want to go rig up, grab all your stuff, get your gear on, we're going to get going. With his underwater team, she plans to dive down to the depths of this mysterious cove. It's the first time I've done a cold water dive like this, so I'm a little bit out of my element. Now Debbie's geared up and ready to start her search. We're looking for bases. We're looking for lights. What are the craft doing underwater? This is probably my best chance at finding something in the water. The reason we chose this area is because we have had UFO craft sightings in the area. There's been a lot of reports. There's been reports of craft that were hovering over the water, coming in and out of the water. It's a good place. It's obviously deep enough because we have cruise ships that are coming in and out. You never know, there might be something there. If aliens are here, Debbie has a theory as to why their aircraft would be attracted to water. Water is H2O, you know, so you've got hydrogen, two parts oxygen. I believe the electromagnetic field that's around these craft is being replenished by hydrogen. And since we've got the hydrogen in the water, could be. Local dive master Alex has pinpointed the place to start the investigation. There's a lot going on underwater. There's a ton of rubble, a ton of wreckage. The water's really deep here, so there's a lot happening. Okay, let's per se, you wanted to hide something, be a good place. Everywhere's a good place. The ocean's <laughs> big, it gets really deep very fast. This is a great place to hide something. With temperatures in these waters dropping as low as 34 degrees Fahrenheit, Alex will dive alongside Debbie in case something goes wrong. All right, check those rigs. Got weights in. I do. Dry suit good. Add a yeah. little air. Sweet. We are ready to go. We are. If you see anything interesting, let me know. If you have anything going on, keep me posted. Sounds good? Sounds good. Yeah. All right. I'll let you roll, and I'm going to head right behind you. Now it's time to start the search. 
with visibility at just five feet, Debbie has a hard task on her hands. This is totally different from anything I've ever dove before. It's a really hard dive. It's cold, harsh conditions. It's obviously deep enough. Could very easily have some kind of alien craft that could be coming in and out of the water with ease. What are these strange creatures on the seabed? Some kind of alien life form? Closer inspection reveals they're actually Earth-born marine animals. Invertebrates, known as sea whips. But Debbie presses on. Every dive that a diver takes could potentially be a brand new dive because of the currents, because of the weather, because of earthquakes, underwater changes. So if there's something hidden under there, maybe it wasn't there before, maybe it is now. Next, through the depths, some bizarre triangular shapes. But another false alarm. These are man-made. I would like to see the area out a little bit deeper. Unfortunately, as an open water diver, we're limited to about 130 feet. Next, Debbie finds a mysterious plane wreck, a sunken boat. All intriguing, but nothing at these depths that seems extraterrestrial. Debbie can't go any deeper on this dive. She decides to return to the surface. It was kind of a, a dark. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible, pretty harsh conditions in there, cold. Looking around, there were a lot of man-made things. Did I see anything underwater that I thought may be alien-related? No, I didn't, unfortunately. At least when you have an area where there's activity, where there's craft that are hovering over the water, it always feels good to get in the water and take a look-see. And I got to do that, and it was exciting. Unfortunately, I didn't see anything that looked alien Um, But you never know. Debbie's quest to find evidence of aliens underwater continues. Much of the Triangle's vast oceans remain unexplored. But something more bizarre has been reported roaming these waters. The seas of the Alaska Triangle are as deadly to shipping as those of the renowned Bermuda Triangle. In fact, there are over 3,000 shipwrecks along Alaska's coast. But here, ships don't just disappear. It's much more bizarre than that. They reappear, too, as ghost ships. The ghost ships of the Alaska Triangle. For me, this is the best evidence of something really mysterious going on here and for the existence of supernatural forces at work. Alaska is home to all manner of paranormal activity, from sightings of mysterious creatures in the wilderness to ghostly figures haunting the towns and villages. But when the vast bulk of the SS Bay Chimo disappeared in 1931, no one expected ever to see it again. But it was seen for another 38 years as a ghost ship. A ghost ship? Really? Are we sure? First it's there, then it's not? If this is true, it has to be a supernatural event of the highest order. Back in the 1920s, the SS Bay Chimo was the pride of the Hudson Bay Company. The fur trade was big business, and the Bay Chimo was at the heart of this. 
At the time, it was the largest ship ever to cross into the Arctic Circle, to the shock of the local people. The indigenous people that first saw it must have been absolutely blown away by the sight of it. They would have never seen such a vessel before. They were kayaking people. They made skin boats and dugout boats. And then the sight of this 1,300-ton steel vessel must have been extremely impressive for them. One indigenous group were so in awe of the huge ship that they carved this intricate ivory reproduction. But was this an act of devotion, or was the motive something more sinister? Shortly after the carving was made, the Bechaimo ran into a thick Arctic ice flow. Historian Anthony Dalton has written a book about what next happened to the ship. In October 1931, she became irrevocably trapped in the ice, and Captain Sidney Cornwall had to call the order which no mariner wants to hear, and that is abandon ship. The location? Just off the coast at Barrow, near the northern tip of the Triangle. The crew all disembarked, and they set up a camp nearby, because the cargo, which was said to be at least a million dollars in furs, they wanted to keep an eye on it, so they stayed in a nearby camp. There was no sense of urgency about anything. It's case of the ship's there, we're here. It's not really a problem. It's Alaska, this sort of happens. If necessary, we'll wait here throughout the winter. On November 24th, five weeks into their wait, the temperature hit 60 degrees below zero. This was followed by a huge snowstorm. The crew were trapped in their shelter. On the morning of the 27th, the storm calmed and the men looked outside to check on the ship. To everyone's astonishment, they found that it had completely vanished into thin air. There was nothing there, just ice, as far as they could see. Bechaimo had disappeared. The men were astounded. The ship couldn't possibly have sunk through the ice, and it couldn't have blown away. But the disappearance of the Bechaimo isn't the most extraordinary part of the story. Because soon afterwards, its ghostly form returned. The first sighting of the ghost ship Bechaimo was by Inuit hunters who saw it from a distance and noticed that it was unmanned and floating freely. In May 1932, a gentleman called Leslie Melvin actually boarded the Bechaimo. This time it was in a different location. Yet at the same time, planes flying over the area could see nothing, no sign at all of the Bechaimo. He discovers it's completely deserted and wonders, how did it get here? Did it sail itself? After this, sightings continued for an astonishing 38 years, but the ship remained out of reach to anyone attempting to salvage it. The strange thing is, anyone who seeks out the Bechaimo never finds it. They see it, it starts moving away at unnatural speeds. Or if they approach it and, and try to board it, extreme weather comes out of nowhere and prohibits them from doing so. It's almost as though the Alaska Triangle is using supernatural forces to protect the ship. All this was adding to a growing myth about the ship as a real ghost ship something just on the edge of reality, possibly slightly into a more otherworldly reality.
but to the native people, it wasn't so much a ghost ship as a spirit moving in another dimension. Kidu Viduak Lichard is a native shaman. The Native American view on reality is everything is made of spirit. Everything in this reality has a certain spirit. Reality is made of spirit. And there are different realities that have different degrees or strengths of spiritual energy. This world is also a spirit world. The Beichaimo was moving between different levels of spirit. And when something goes to a different spirit world, it's like saying a different dimension. We're talking about another place that's like this, but it's like a different layer. If this theory is true, would a different layer of reality explain the mysterious voyage of a second ship, which disappeared in Alaska in the 1760s? It was last seen with all its crew frozen solid beneath the decks. There is another ghost ship story, and that ship is called the Octavius. The question is, could the Alaska Triangle be responsible for what happened to its crew? Octavius, the British sailing ship in the 1700s. She sailed from Britain to China, trading. When she left China, the captain, who had his wife and child with him, decided he would make an attempt on the Northwest Passage. The fabled Northwest Passage connected the Pacific with the Atlantic via the Arctic Sea. Yet this route hadn't even been discovered yet. Why the captain would attempt this unknown route in 1762 is still a mystery. The ship disappeared, but in the 1770s, it was found apparently abandoned, drifting off the coast of Greenland. The story of the Octavius is quite spine-chilling. How did it get there? It disappeared north of Alaska. From there, she drifted through the Northwest Passage and been spat out round the east side of Greenland. Ironically, the Octavius is the first ship to have sailed the passage, and it appears to have done so all by itself. The big question was, where was the crew? When she was boarded, the crew were all below decks. They were all frozen stiff. The captain's wife and son were frozen stiff in their cabin, and the captain was frozen stiff at his desk with pen in hand. It was like a scene out of the movie, The Thing. How could this have happened? So having seen this, the crew believed that the ship may be cursed, so they got off the ship as quickly as they could, and the Octavius was never seen again. The last entry in the ship's log was November the 11th, 1762, 13 years earlier. So this tells us that this ship had been traveling unmanned for 13 years. Its last position in the logbook was roughly 250 miles north of Point Barrow. Barrow, where the Beichimo was going to disappear 170 years later. This must have been where the captain and the crew froze to death. It's the survival of these ships, in one form or another, that differentiates them from any that have disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. The stories of the Baichaimo and the Octavius and the remarkable longevity of those ships on the ocean 
They seem to add to this idea that there was a force, possibly. Maybe there was uh, some kind of hand of fate that was keeping them afloat on the seas. Up in the Arctic, these ships usually damaged and destroyed within a year of being abandoned, or within a few months. So the fact that these lasted for so long in extremely treacherous, icy conditions with very bad weather is quite remarkable. The Octavius was seen for another 13 years after it was abandoned, and the Bay Chimo was seen for 38 years. So what's going on here? How did they survive? It really is one of the big mysteries of the Alaska Triangle. If supernatural forces were at work, then perhaps the men who boarded the Octavius were right. There's a widespread belief that both ships were cursed. Among the native community, it was a common practice to put a curse on wrongdoers. They would create totems out of animal bone, skin, hair. They would then place this in the waters so that the curse could take hold. Was the Octavius trespassing in the waters of the Triangle? Was the Bechimo cursed because of its part in the fur trade and the mass slaughter of animals? When you destroy and disrespect this life force that flows through everything, it can come back at you. You can be cursed by it. It will be angry. So when you have a ship like this that's plundering and destroying, just violating all these natural laws, they're going to suffer the consequences. The old saying goes, truth is stranger than fiction, and it's definitely possible. We may never see the Bay Chimo again. It's impossible to know. But then again, if it suddenly appeared sailing freely on the Arctic Sea, we wouldn't be surprised. I don't think we can underestimate the impact that the Alaska Triangle is having on these supernatural events. 